Are you a monkey's uncle? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese and the Origin on Man. God gave man a body to communicate and manifest his thoughts, his feelings, his deeds, his desires. But the real person is spirit. This is just a glove, a form to communicate myself. God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. Not through the process of evolution. It was boom, God breathed. He created from nothing, He molded, He shaped, He breathed. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We're spending billions of dollars on the exploration of outer space, hoping to find out the answer to the all-important question, where do we come from? Today, Pastor Xavier answers this question, and he does so from one of the oldest books around, the Bible. Let's join him for today's important lesson, In the Image of God or Monkey. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God said to them, and uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The creation of man is characterized by the following elements. First, in verse 26, the conversation regarding the creation of man. The conversation regarding the creation of man. Verse 27, the commentary regarding the creation of man. And then verse 28, the celebration regarding the creation of man. Notice that God doesn't seek to convince us. He just says, boom, 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 boom. This is revelation. He's not seeking to give us a science book. We bring in science and the miraculous of, of God's creation, but he's just revealing what he is, who he is, what he's done. Let's begin here with the conversation regarding the creation of man. Look at verse uh, 26 there. The conversation involves the proclamation to make man in association to God. Mark it well. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The council was between the Trinity. Here we have the term Elohim again, God. Indicative of the Trinity that we saw in chapter 1, verse 1. It's in the plural. It's the creator God. The word is found 2,570 times in the Old Testament, and it's used for heathen gods, and you can pick it up in the context, but whenever it's used for God, it's capitalized, Elohim. As you know, the suffix I am in a Hebrew word always means plural, El one, El two, Elohim, compound unity, three or more. So from the beginning, we've seen the Trinity, we see it here once again. He's the eternal one, the creator. The nature of God is Trinity. Consistently taught throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The God of creation reveals himself from the very opening verse as a triune person. Here we see it again. Let us. He's talking to the council of the Trinity. Notice the council was determined to create man in the image and likeness of God. Underline those two words. Image and likeness is again a Hebrew parallelism of complementing uh, descriptions to make something complete. 
even as we saw without form and void, giving a total description of that condition. This is describing the total condition of man in the creation, in association and in connection with the image of God. Both words, image and likeness, seem to use, uh, be used pretty much in synonymous terms, but there is a, a very important amplification by adding the second one. The two phrases are found here, and also in chapter 5, the only other time here, in chapter 5, verse 3, where it says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot sons in his own likeness and after his image. This is the fallen image. In, in, in our text, it's after the likeness image of God. Then in chapter 5 here, now it's repeated, but now it's in the fallen state. When Adam had children, now they were sinners. The image and likeness of God had been marred, not destroyed completely, but marred, tainted. Sin nature came in, death as we know. And so the root word here for image means to shade. The meaning is likeness, resemblance, illusion, representative figure. It's used for idols, also like a phantom. It appears 16 times in the Old Testament. The word image is not an exact duplicate for it is used for a shadow and for a dream in Psalm 39.6 and Psalm 73.20. If you see a shadow of a tree, you don't mistake in the shadow for the tree. It's only a silhouette, an outline. It's not an exact copy of it, but it is a true representation of it as far as a shadow. Five of these refer to men created in the image of God, two to golden mice in 1 Samuel 6, 5, and 11. And the others that appear are used for representative uh, of, of things in the tabernacle of heavenly things. Now, the theology word book of the Old Testament states that the word likeness amplifies and specifies the meaning of the word image. This is important. Listen well. So as not to make man another like God, but a creation and faithful representative of God on the earth. We are created in the image and likeness of God. We are not created as gods. Now, there are people in church today, in Christianity, in the faith movement, that profess that you are gods. It's the Mormon doctrine. And so it's your divine right to demand from God things. It's a corruption of the text. The words are there purposely so we don't mistake in the creature for the creator. Very important. Likeness means resemblance, similitude, model, shape, or patterns. The word appears 26 times as a noun form in the Old Testament and two times in the Aramaic in Daniel chapter 325 and 75. Now, the word is used of man in the image of God. This is the context. If you've ever read Ezekiel, Ezekiel uses this term to describe the appearance that he saw. And remember, he saw angelic beings. Many people take those things to be UFOs and everything. Uh, Isaiah used it when he was asked by God whom they would liken him unto. What, what are you going to make me like? Are you going to put some eyeballs on me? Are you going to put some hands on me? What, what are you going to liken me to? The obvious implication of the words are as follows. The words do not mean a physical likeness to God, for God is spirit, John 4, 24. Those who worship must worship in spirit and the truth, right? Because God is spirit. Uh, Jesus is the visible form of the invisible God, Colossians 1, 15. 
So it doesn't mean physical likeness, because we have eyes doesn't mean God have eyes. Even though God is described through anthropomorphic terms, meaning human attributes, the eye of God, the hand of God. Okay? They're just descriptions so that we can understand what God is doing or what he's communicating. But it doesn't necessarily mean he has physical things, okay? The words do mean an intellectual likeness, able to understand, think, and reason. For he gave man dominion over the earth, as we're going to see, over the animals, over everything. In fact, Adam, in chapter 219, 128, he names the animals. Now, if you don't think that's something difficult, I want you to just go home and try to name, pull 10 things out of the, uh, your dishwares or whatever and give them 10 new names. He named them all. So there's intellectual likeness. We can think. We can reason. We can assimilate, accommodate, come to conclusions. No differences. The words also mean a moral likeness for holiness and righteousness. For everything God created was very good in Genesis 1.31. Adam and Eve were created with the ability to not sin prior to the fall. After the fall, they could do nothing but sin. They still had potential for good, but the bent now was for evil. So they were created with that potential if they wouldn't have disobeyed. The word also, both of them mean a spiritual likeness, a living soul to be in fellowship with God, to worship God. In chapter 2, verse 7, we're going to see that he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. He became a living soul. It's the life, the breath that God gives to a person that makes them that living person in fellowship with God after the image and the likeness of God. The words also mean the potential for immortality because he said the day you eat, you shall surely die in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. So the potential for immortality was from the very beginning. They also mean the potential of choice, the will of every tree you may eat, but of the tree of good and evil you may not eat, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 again. We're not robots. So all of these things indicate and clarify to us what it means in the image and likeness of God. All these things. Now notice the conversation there in verse 2 involves the position of man in view of the creation. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The position of man was to be over the fish of the sea, which is first in line. It's an imperative command. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. The word dominion means simply to dominate, to control. If we look to man, man has great control over creation. Even though many of these animals and things are much more bigger and more powerful, yet we can think, we can reason, we can engineer, we can design, we can plot, we can do everything. Animals work on instinct. I think it's a glover uh, bird. They go up to the Alaskan chain and have their little babies and they boogie down to Hawaii, the parents, and they leave them there alone and they don't leave a map or anything and then they end up in Hawaii. How'd they get there? It's instinct. Got to take care of the animal kingdom, okay? They didn't go to school. They didn't leave them a note in the nest, okay, a map. They said, you know, that's just the way it is. So man would dominate sea life, you know? I mean, those big whales, sharks, everything, we control them. Now, you don't want to get in their backyard because they have some trouble, but we control. The position of man was to be over the birds of the air also, the birds that flew in the first heaven. And yet man can't fly, but man can create things to fly, it's always amazing to me. All that big metal can stay up in the air. And you thank God that it does. <laughs> but um, 
but man still dominates. He's superior. The position of man was to be over the cattle, the land animals, despite of the greater power. Man is a superior being. He's distinct from the animal kingdom and is purposely put this way to make that distinction. The trouble with people today is they want to make man part of the animal kingdom, a superior or the most superior of the animal kingdom. No, never. And so notice the position of man was to be over all the things that creep on the earth. This is the insects, all the creepy little things that we freak out at. I mean, there are more insects on, on earth. The ratio to human population is astronomical. There are bugs that we don't have names for. We haven't even seen them all in the Amazon and everything. The highest order of creation of God was man because he was the representative of man. Vested to him was the authority to subdue control, to dominate, to rule, if you will. And truly he has. But in the fallen nature, he has done it corruptly, and he continues to do so. It's only the Christian, when he becomes a Christian, that he realizes that everything God made, he made it for his benefit, and he doesn't go out of the way to abuse it. He takes the best care of everything because this is God's gift to him. It's God's creation. Man is an inferior trinity after the image and the likeness of God. But the image was marred through the fall. And so he was inverted. As he was created, he was spirit, soul, and body. When the fall came in, now he's body, soul, and spirit last. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says man is a trichotomy. Three. Now, I don't want to get in the argument. Some Christians say we're a dichotomy. Uh, body and soul and spirit are one. I think that we're three. But that's another argument for another day. Okay? The Bible says three. Now, the body is only the physical vehicle. In other words, it's the instrument to manifest my actions, my thoughts, my deeds. It's like a pencil. Okay? If you write a dirty word, you can't say the pencil did it. You did it. It's just a vehicle. You can't get a spray can and spray a wall and say, oh, I bought that can it just sprayed. <laughs> the soul is a part of man's intellect, emotion, and will which are fallen now and depraved because the image has been marred. It's bent us towards evil. It becomes a slave of sin and sin nature. All of us were there at one time. If you're not a Christian this morning, though you may be a good, moral, ethical person, you cannot stop sinning. You're a slave to sin. You're alienated from God. There's a separation. You're doing things on your own. The spirit of man is dead and trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And he's alienated from God in verse 12. Because of the fall, the marring of that image. The effects of the fall that brought about sin nature can only be overcome through the new birth, as Jesus told Nicodemus. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 20. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility, vanity, emptiness of your mind, having their understanding darkened, being alien from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now man after the new birth is now made upright. Now we are now back to where we were, spirit, soul, 
and body. Now we are being directed by God's Spirit, even as Paul says in Romans 6.22. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting life. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect, but we can hit the mark now. He says in Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, being able to put on the new man created according to God what he is in himself in true righteousness and holiness. So there's the potential for true righteousness and holiness. The word therefore new is kainos. It means new in quality, recently made, having never existed before. So when we're born again, we are new creatures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Now we're children of God. Now we're able to see the reality of life, that God is a creator, that he can give us the ability to live the life that we should. Being able as a new man to be renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him, Christ, who created him, Colossians 3.10. So now I can live the way God intended Adam to live, through Christ. According to the image, and the word there for image uh, means uh, the derived likeness. It's, uh, it's used for the stamp of a coin in Colossians 1.15. The full knowledge that comes through Jesus Christ, knowing that he's the creator, that he's the savior, and that he can make me new, and I can give my life to him, and he can make all things new, and he can turn my life around. He can turn on the light, if you will. God created man as the highest form of life on the earth, being the closest resemblance to God, created in his image and according to his likeness. For this reason, man is to love the Lord as God with all his mind, Heart and soul, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Matthew 22, 37. An appreciation and recognition that he created me. The conversation regarding the creation of man was to make him in the image and likeness of God. The statement, the fact. Now, notice the commentary regarding the creation of man in verse 27. The commentary this is very important. The declaration of the creator, Elohim, was the execution of his determined counsel. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice God created man in his own image and likeness, as we said. The word for man here, Adam, used for mankind because he was the first man. The word create, bara, here it is again, out of nothing. Appears two times in this verse to make sure you don't think you just evolved. Created from nothing. The word make is asa. We discussed that before. The word form, yatsar which also is used for man's creation. They both describe molding and shaping. God created bara out of nothing, and he molded and shaped man. Verse 26 here in chapter 2, verse 7. Real simple. No contradiction. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Man was formed from the dust of the ground. And the Lord God formed man in the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Living being in the New King James. I still have the Old King James in my mind. God made man of the most common substance that he would not be impressed with himself or his person and be aware of his frailty and his temporalness. Man is so seeped in pride, he doesn't realize how frail he is. God gave man a body to communicate and manifest his thoughts, his feelings, his deeds, his desires. But the real person is spirit. The real me is spirit. This is just a glove, a, a form to communicate myself. God breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. Not through the process of evolution. It was boom, God breathed. 
He created from nothing. He molded. He shaped. He breathed. The word breathe, nasha, means puff of air. The breath, panting, synonymous with nefesh. And nefesh is often found with the word combined ruach, wind. It is God's spirit that gives breath to a man. That baby is, is alive inside, but then they cut that umbilical cord and they hit it. They spank it. Takes the first breath in. And you hear the first cry. Life is severed from the mother to the child all on its own. Notice the declaration of the creator Elohim was the clear distinction between male and female. Very important here. These are the details he gives to us. Male and female, he created them. The placing of male and female before the verb in the Hebrew gives emphasis on distinction. God didn't want people to confuse male and female. It's emphatic and distinct. The word for male and female cannot be confused or mistaken. You have singular man, Adam, created in plurality of two, male and female, because the woman was taken from the man. God created, bara, here it is again, out of nothing. God uses another word. When you get to verse 22, so he created bara, out of nothing, asa, yatsur, mold and shape. And look at verse 22 of chapter 2. It says, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. The word made there is bana. The woman was built. There's a fourth word. <laughs> built. The creation of man took place on the sixth day of creation with clear distinction from the animal kingdom and from male and female, indicating a complete distinction between the sexes, indicating God's assignment for the perpetuation of the human race, indicating that though there is a clear distinction between male and female, there is no distinct inferiority between them before their creator. It's always with purpose and design in mind under the creation. The verse is the declarative affirmation that God did in fact create man, male and female. After his counsel, verse 26. After his determined design and purpose, verse 27. After the same image. Not physical likeness. Intellectual likeness is included. We can think. We can reason. We have control of the animals. In the likeness of morality, man is a moral being. God created everything very good. In spiritual likeness that we're in fellowship with God and we can come into that fellowship by repenting and coming to him through Christ as he intended from the beginning. The potential for immortality. God gives to us eternal life. The potential of choice that now we can make right choices, godly choices, correct choices. Hmm. The parallel is too obvious to miss. The declarative statement of the creation of the heavens and the earth was given in the first chapter. Genesis 1.1 Then the state of the heavens and the earth was given in verse 2. And then the process from verse 3 to 31. Notice here, the declarative statement of the creation of man and woman is given. Verse 26 
Then the state, verse 27, male and female. And then you have the process, chapter 2, verse 7, 21 and 22. You have a parallel of the same revelation. God's a God of order, people. Pastor Xavier Reese and God's Plan for Man. And you can request a copy of today's study from the book of Genesis in the image of God or monkey. You can pick up a copy on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass this along to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now the title to ask for once again is In the Image of God or Monkey. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. How do we know that man was created in the image of God? That's next time here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 